Hey, good to see all of you, all of our churches today. Uh, before we get into today's talk, I, I just want to thank you for being a church that is for everyone. In fact, many of you, you got the emails that we do, the church-wide email at all of our churches, and uh, we told about the tornado that happened in Hosford. And man, with just a day's notice, I mean, a lot of you showed up yesterday and you helped out our neighbors in Hosford. Here's some pictures of that, of you just making a huge impact. Um, there's so many more pictures and so many more people. Thank you so much for showing up yesterday. And then there we had a whole other group of you, and you were out doing a Habitat build yesterday as well. So thank you for being a church that absolutely loves our communities and help them to understand that God is for them by the way that you are for them. Because Jesus said, by this will all people know that you're my disciples if you what? If you love, right? You love as I love you, right? That's the whole deal. And then the other thing I want to thank you is for just being a church that is consistently generous. For those of you that are consistent givers, you have this consistent plan where you give weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually. Thank you for being a church that allows us to do the ministry we do in our communities, but also the ability to be global as well. And um, to this morning, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, uh, a, a pastor and a church that you have supported, a church that you helped build and are continuing to help build in Haiti. And uh, Pastor Mino, if you'll come to the stage uh, this morning, I want to introduce all of you to Pastor Mino from Haiti. Yeah, all of our campuses, if you'll introduce, if you'll come on, Pastor Mino. So you guys have been supporting Pastor Mino and his church in Haiti for over 10, 11, 12 years, I think it has been. And um, you've helped him build a church. Uh, you help support their ministry on a weekly basis. And uh, yesterday I got to spend the day with Pastor Mino and hear some of the stories of his ministry. And I'm trying not to get emotional about this. Um, but yesterday was a lesson in gratitude again for me. As he talked about um, the tough times that they have. Uh, went to the gas station and, you know, we just fill up and he goes, oh, we don't go to our gas station. You have a fight every time you have to go to the gas station. And um, you buy it off of, you know, somebody who's went and bought gas and then they sell it to you for $10 a gallon. And uh, it's just incredible when you hear those stories and, you know, electricity is so random anymore in Haiti. It's, it's gotten worse since we got to know you, hasn't it, Pastor Haiti? It has. Or Pastor Mino in Haiti. And um, so this morning, what I want to do is I want to give us as a church the opportunity to pay for, pray over Pastor Mino and his church. Because every week, Pastor Mino is working hard to lead people uh, to Jesus in a country that is just almost like a war country because the gangs have just totally taken over um, Haiti. And so can, if you can imagine that, they don't go out unless they have to go out just because of the danger of being kidnapped and everything you have being taken away. So, um, if you will, all of our churches, I'm going to ask you to stand. And for those of you that are comfortable, just reach your hands out toward Pastor Mino, and um, let's just pray together over our brother um, and his ministry in Haiti. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Pastor Mino, for his wife, for their commitment to serve. God, and even yesterday, as he continued to talk about, well, how nice it would be to have the conveniences of America, but saying, but my calling is in Haiti. God, I ask for a special um, anointing, a strength for him, and God, just incredible blessings over him and his family as they do ministry 
and probably one of the toughest places that you can do it. So Lord, as a church, we, we all stand in agreement this morning in our support and our love for our brother as he continues to fulfill the mission of leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus. We thank you for him. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Hey, can y'all celebrate Pastor Mino one more time, brother? Thank you so much. You have a seat, man. Thank you. You know, yesterday I was, um, <laughs> one other, I mean, so many lessons in gratitude yesterday, because I knew some of them, so we had so many people out serving and everything, and so yesterday about midday, he and I were, were going, uh, we were headed to Blountstown, and because um, I wanted to show him all these churches that are supporting him, and where, he, when he's thinking about our church, he can think about these different locations, and I just go ahead and tell you, Chipley, he liked your campus the best. He liked the road with the trees lining the road. Just he's like, he took pictures of that video. Was like, I like this. And uh, so anyhow, just saying. And uh, it was interesting. The rain started coming. I think, oh, it's going to mess up these people working over in Hosford and potentially the Habitat build. And Amino goes, wow, y'all must be grateful for having rain year round. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, we don't have rain year round. We have five to six months. We have no rain and we can't grow anything. And it's already hard to get food. And it's like, always. So thank you for being a church that supports people through hardship. I have to tell you this. Um, so we, um, we were coming back from Blountstown. I thought, well, man, we got a new Chick-fil-A here in this region, right? That's like a, that's like a water well in a desert, right? You know? <laughs> so we started to pull in there. Um, and there's this line, of course, you know, there's a line at Chick-fil-A, right? Um, and he was just amazed that people would sit in a line like that to get food. Like you sit in, you know, you sit in a line and you get your food and then you just eat it in your car. I'm like, yeah, that's just what you do. He goes, well, this is a habit, isn't it? Like he was really, <laughs> I was like, for other, for some people more than others, right? But yeah. So um, I, I just say that all that to say, guys, we're, we're so blessed and thank you for your support and your love because you're doing that for so many churches. Um, I was on a call with one of our guys who is reaching. He's in Nepal right now. He's um, Brian Williams. Many of you know him. Um, just the work that he's doing with Asian churches. Um, and you're making all this stuff happen around the world. Um, he's training 50 pastors this week in Nepal. And um, yeah. Celebrate. You can celebrate it. It's okay. You don't have to sit there. Just... <clears throat> so, so thank you. Um, all right. We got to get into today's talk, don't we? Right? So you need to come to Evening of Vision, okay? Just come to Evening of Vision. We can tell you more about what's going on because there's so many things that you guys are allowing God to um, use you to do. And so thank you for being that kind of church. All right. So grab those, uh, those um, 
apps, RCC app, go there, go to your talk notes, and let's jump into um, today's talk. Uh, is, we're in our third week of our, ser our series called It Ain't Rocket Surgery, and uh, if today is the first time with us, you're probably going, okay, it ain't rocket surgery, like those words don't normally go together, and it, it's really kind of a play on this phrase, rocket science and brain surgery, two things that are notoriously, notoriously complex and difficult to understand, and for many of us, the thing that is notoriously complex and difficult is how to make good and wise decisions in life whenever we're going through some really difficult times. I mean, whenever we find ourselves in situations that we never wanted to be or we never expected to be, but a decision had to be made and figuring out like what that next move needs to be or what our move needs to be, it can absolutely be agonizing, can it? Because you have limited time, you have limited knowledge, and you never know when that decision you're about to make is going to be a defining moment in your life. Now, if you take some time and you really stop and think about it, I bet you can think back. All of you can probably think back on a decision that you made at some point in your life, and it seemed like an innocent or a small or even a simple decision it is there was a decision that you, you thought really didn't matter a whole lot, but now your heart, it skips a beat whenever you realize how close you came to making a bad decision that would have taken your life in a completely, entirely different direction than where you're at right now. So what we're doing in this series is we're discovering five questions that Scripture teaches us to ask whenever we find ourselves in a tough spot with a decision that needs to be made. Now, we've already talked about two of them over the past few weeks. If you haven't been with us, I'd encourage you to go back and watch them. And the first question is all about our motivation, our motive whenever we make a decision, and that is this, why do I want to do this really? In other words, I know why I'm telling everybody else I'm making this decision. I know why I'm telling myself that I'm making this decision, why it's a good idea to myself. But my heart is way too good at deceiving me. So what's really driving this decision? Why am I really doing this? Am I being completely honest with myself about why I want to do what I want to do? Now, the second question we ask, and this question that we gave you last week, it's the question that gives us perspective. It's the 30,000-foot view of why we're making this decision or what it will do in our lives, and that is, what story do I want to tell? Because every decision that you make, it becomes a part of your life story, and you get to decide today what you say tomorrow, whether you will be a liar for life because you don't want to tell your whole story or you embellish your story so it doesn't sound so bad. Because every one of us know that there's always this emotional pull toward one option or an option that looks more appealing than another option. So you have to think about whether you'd be proud to tell that story in the future. Now, today, we're going to give you a third question that you need to be asking. And at the end of this series, I'm going to give you a card with all these questions on it to help you understand, okay, this, this question is all about the motive. This question is all about perspective. And the question we're talking about today is all about caution, having appropriate caution. And, and I think all of us are going to be able to identify with this question. So whenever you're making a decision, the third question you need to be asking yourself is this, is there any tension that needs my attention? Like, whenever you're faced with a difficult decision, 
or any kind of decision, there is usually one option that creates some kind of moral or ethical dilemma. It may not seem like a big thing at the time, but kind of inside, you know, there's just this sense of uneasiness and you're kind of a little uncomfortable about that option and maybe you're even a little bit hesitant about that option. I mean, sometimes we're not even aware that that tension is there until somebody comes along and they ask us about it. But the moment they say, have, have you thought about this? Or are you sure you want to do this? Didn't you say you would never? Isn't that sort of wrong? Many of us, we immediately, we start rationalize what we're doing. We go, oh, no, it's not really that big a deal. I don't really think it's wrong. I mean, everybody else is doing this. I mean, like, you just don't understand how things work around here. Yeah, I said I would never do that, but man, this is just too good a deal or too good an option to pass up. I mean, things are different now. I, I know it's not right, but man, after the way that they treated me, I mean, I've got a right to do this. See, you got to pay attention to the tension. Or, or you'll end up wishing that you had. Because I bet every one of us, we could tell a story right now. When we ignored that tension, when we ignored that little warning, when we ignored that little red flag that popped up and started waving, and it came back to bite us later. Matter of fact, I bet some of your biggest regrets is because you ignored the tension. So today, just want to warn you ahead of time, today may stir up some of those tensions it may even stir up a little bit of defensiveness within you. But I am convinced this is a question that we need to ask ourselves, and that is, is there a tension that needs my attention? And I, I want to encourage you, no matter how hard, no matter how uncomfortable, always pay attention to the tension. So to help you understand the importance of this question, we're going to read a story of a man who learned this lesson the hard way. And there's a lot that we can learn from this guy's life. I mean, the caution, he just absolutely ignored the tension, the caution about the decision, and it nearly cost him his life. The story is found in the book of 1 Kings 22. If you want to go there in your Bibles, I'd love for you to follow along. We're going to put the scripture on the screen as well. But if you want to follow along, you can find it there in the Bible. But it's a story of a man you're probably not very familiar with. His name is Jehoshaphat. And he was the fourth king of the southern kingdom of Israel. Now, let me kind of give you a little bit of a history lesson, or this story probably won't make a lot of sense. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was actually like one country that was comprised of 12 different tribes. And they stayed united throughout the reign of Saul and David and Solomon. However, when Solomon's son, Rehoboam, became the king, the nation divided in what was known as the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Here, here's how it looked if you were looking at a map. This would be the southern kingdom, that's the purple, and the green would be the northern kingdom. So the northern kingdom is in green, and it retained the name Israel. The southern kingdom is the purple, and it was called Judah. So if you're reading the Old Testament and you come across Judah, you understand, okay, this was part of when the country divided. Now, each one of these countries, Israel and Judah, 
each had a succession of its own kings. Well, Jehoshaphat was a direct descendant of King David, and he became the king of Judah around 875 BC, and he reigned for like 25 years. Well, to his credit, Jehoshaphat ended up being one of the best and most godly kings that Judah ever had. And one of his greatest feats was keeping peace between Judah and Israel, where there had been no peace for about four generations. But in the process of trying to maintain that peace between Judah and Israel, Jehoshaphat, he finds himself in a very complex situation facing a very difficult decision. And here's what he does. It says, for three years, there was no war between Aram and Israel. Now, if you guys will throw that map back up for just a moment, Aram is out here. This is Aram, right? See, Aram is located kind of northeast of Israel, which is present-day Syria. And for years, Aram and Israel had been at war. That would be Israel, the green part. They had been at war fighting for control over the border of the towns. Kind of like, so any wars happening around that area right now are not new, right? This has been going on thousands of years. Well, for three years, they have been at peace. But as we're about to see, not for long. Notice what happens in verse 2. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to see the king of Israel, Ahab. Now, the king of Israel at that time was Ahab, as in Ahab and Jezebel. You might have heard of their names or at least her name before. Now, Ahab was just as wicked as Jezebel. He was an evil king who didn't fear God. He didn't even care about his own people. He only lived for his ego. So Ahab, he's the king of Israel. That was the green part of the map, the northern part. He was a wicked man, and Jehoshaphat is a good man. So this story, it starts with this unlikely pair meeting up. You got righteous Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and wicked Ahab, king of Israel. Now, Jehoshaphat is making this visit because he knows how violent and how wicked Ahab is. So he wants to keep peace between Israel and Judah. And during the visit, notice what happens. Ahab basically says, don't you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us and yet we're doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram? Now, if you throw this map up again one more time, so Ramoth Gilead is right here on the border of what was Israel. See, the thing about it is, it was originally part of the, of the area occupied by the Israeli tribe of Dan. Okay, but it kept going back and forth between Aram and Israel, Aram and Israel. So both countries want to control of it for security purposes, as you can imagine. So Ahab has this plan and is in mind. He knows Jehoshaphat's coming to see him. So he goes, okay, here's a plan and involves Jehoshaphat. Notice what happens in verse four. So he asks Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? Now, there is no reason for Jehoshaphat to get involved in this. Ramoth Gilead is nowhere near Judah. It's none of his business. He doesn't need to get involved 
but he doesn't want to get Aram mad with him either. I mean, like, why would he want a country that's not even connecting him mad with him? On top of that, he knows it would be wrong for him to make alliance with a king and a country that at the present moments was resisting and rebelling against God. I mean, every indicator says the thing to do is just stay out of it. Let Ahab pick his own fights. But remember why Jehoshaphat is here to begin with. He's trying to maintain peace, not tick Ahab off. So here's his answer in the last part of verse 4. Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, referring Jehoshaphat replied to Ahab, as I, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And you're like, really? Are you serious? It's like Jehoshaphat says, yeah, Ahab, man, I'm going to bring my army up here. We're going to join forces with you to fight Aram. Whatever you need, whatever you need, whatever will keep you happy with me. But as soon as he says it, it's almost like Jehoshaphat recognizes and he feels the tension down inside and he starts feeling apprehensive and he starts feeling uncomfortable because he knows that he's about to make an alliance with a very wicked king. That's like a really big red flag out there waving. So as the tension builds, Jehoshaphat's thinking probably, I better slow things down and consider this a little further. And the reason we know that's potentially what he's thinking is because of what happens next in verse 5. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, that would be Ahab, first seek the counsel of the Lord. Literally, hey, before we get too committed you know, to this whole thing, before we get too deep, let's pause and ask God what he wants to do. Because I know this seems like to you, Ahab, this, this is like the logical thing for you to do. It makes you, sense for you to attack Ramoth Gilead, and it makes sense for us, in your mind, for us to work together. But something doesn't just feel quite right. And as you can imagine, Ahab cares nothing about what God thinks, but it was a cultural practice in those days to acquire God through prophets before making a decision. Prophets were to a king, kind of like a board or a cabinet is to the president today. So Ahab's got this thing covered. He has developed a group of somewhere between 400 and 800 prophets who are on his payroll and they tell him whatever he wants to hear. So he calls all these prophets in. He says, okay, guys, what should they do? And, and they go on with their little dog and pony show and say, oh, go. God promises to give you success. So Ahab looks at Jehoshaphat and says, okay, satisfied? Y'all good? Jehoshaphat goes, no, 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 no. He looks back at Ahab and he says this in verse 7. But Jehoshaphat asks, is there not a prophet of the Lord whom we can inquire of? In other words, isn't there like a prophet of God around here that we could ask? I mean, I heard the, these guys, but they're clearly in your back pocket. I mean, that was just like a dog and pony kind of show. I want to know what God has to say. Now listen to this, verse 8. The king of Israel, that would be Ahab, answered, there is, still no, there is still one man through whom we can acquire of the Lord. But I hate him. Why does he hate him? Because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. In other words, every time I ask for God's input from him, it's bad news. He's always telling me something that creates a tension with every decision I'm trying to make. So I quit listening to him. I'm just doing my own thing. 
Now, before we get too judgmental about Ahab hating this prophet who wouldn't tell him what he wanted to hear. If we're all honest, whether you're a student, whether you're a young adult, whether you're male or female, older adult, middle-aged adult, doesn't that sound like a lot of us when we don't hear what we want to hear from a person? I mean, have you ever not prayed about something because you knew God wouldn't tell you what you wanted to hear? You just quit praying in the season because I just don't want to talk to God about that. Have you ever quit going to church because you didn't want the tension to get geared up inside of you again or stirred up inside of you? You just wanted to hide out and just keep ignoring things? Have you ever quit listening to someone, not because they weren't giving you good advice, but because they were? And you didn't want to hear it anymore. And you didn't want to follow it for sure. Well, that's what Ahab does. But notice Jehoshaphat's response in the last part of verse 8. The king, referring to Ahab, should not say that, Jehoshaphat replied. So Ahab, he consents and he says, well, go ahead, get Micaiah around here, let, let us see what he has to say. So they do. So Ahab sends a messenger to get Micaiah. And when the messenger finds him, Micaiah, he, he says, listen, everyone else is telling the king that the war is going to end in success. Could you just please go in like this one time and tell him what he wants to hear? So when Micaiah gets there, Ahab says, Micaiah, should I go to war against Aram or not? And Micaiah basically sarcastically says, sure, God will give you the victory. You don't care what God says to begin with. You know why you're asking me? And Ahab says, you're right, I don't. But um, Jehoshaphat over there, that guy, he, he's a little too religious, right? So he can't fight without an okay from God to go ahead. So what did God really say? And here's his response in verse 17. Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills. This, this is the northern part of the, the 12 tribes at this point. I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. Translation is, Ahab, God showed me that you're going to die. If you go to this battle, even if you two fight together, you won't win this one. So don't go. Notice verse 18. Then the king of Israel, which would be Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? Now, at this point, the tension has got to be very, very strong for Jehoshaphat. I mean, it is so clear to go to war with Ahab is just not the best move. I mean, the prophet of God has just said, listen, it's not going to end good. So guess what Jehoshaphat does? Verse 29, if you're following along. So the king of Israel, Ahab, and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Wait just a minute. He goes to battle anyway? Yep, he did. Do you know why? Because he did the same thing that you and that I do whenever we feel attention about a certain decision, but we want to do it anyway. 
He rationalized and he justified until he could ignore the tension because Jehoshaphat somehow or other convinced himself that contrary to the tension that he was hearing, that he was feeling, that in uneasiness, that still small voice inside of him saying, don't do it because it won't be good. He convinced himself against all the warnings and all the signs that somehow, don't miss this, that somehow he could control the outcome of what was going to happen. And somehow they would win this war. And somehow he would maintain peace with Ahab in the end. Now listen, this is just so huge. It's such a great example of what we do in our lives. Listen, the reason that you and I, we ignore the tension whenever we're making decisions is we convince ourselves that we can control what's going to happen next. We can somehow control the outcome. We can control the end. And yet, I know people who do that, man, and they somehow tell themselves, oh, this is going to happen. And we'll say something like this. Yeah, yeah, I know most people that do that kind of stuff, they have that bad outcome, but that's not going to be me. Oh, I know people in a relationship with someone like that, man, they get hurt, but that's not going to happen to me. Or I know people who do that, they, they get caught and and. It's not going to happen to me. Or, or I know people who live that way. They hurt their families. But, man, that's just not going to happen to me. See, see we kind of convince ourselves, well, this is what I want to do. And, yeah, the outcome happens to everybody else that way. But it's not going to happen to me because my situation is different. I'm the exception to the rule. And I know the outcome is going to be different for me. Listen, the reason... Jehoshaphat, the reason we ignore the tension so many times in our life is that we think that we can control the outcome in the end. But in the end, you can't. I can't. We don't have any control of the outcome. That is beyond our power, and it was beyond Jehoshaphat's too. Listen how bad this gets. Verse 30. The king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, this is just amazing to me, but, but this is us. Think about yourself this past week, this past month. The king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, I will in the, enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. Like, really, you be the target. I'm going to be incognito. I mean, the tension just got stronger. It's like, what are you smoking, Jehoshaphat? I'm like, really? I mean, look at the last part of this verse, verse 30. He says, I'm, back, back up. He says, I went into the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robe. It's like, how do you even think this is a good idea? I mean, Jehoshaphat's just like way too proud, right, to change his mind. So let's go to the end of the story here. So the king of Israel, that's Ahab, he, he disguised himself and he went into battle. Now, the king of Aram had ordered his 32 chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone small or great except the king of Israel, Ahab. Quick question. Who's dressed up in king's clothes? Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Look at the next part. 
when the chariot commander saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, surely this is the king of Israel. Nobody else would be stupid enough to dress like a king out here, right? So they turned to attack him. But when Jehoshaphat cried out, and I'm sure he cried out, that's probably the loudest, loud, without a PA system that ever has echoed on planet Earth, right? But when Jehoshaphat cried out, the chariot commander saw that he was not the king of Israel and stopped pursuing him. But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel, Ahab, between the sections of his armor. And as the prophet said, that day, Ahab died. But I want you to notice something else that happened here. God did for Jehoshaphat what he's done for all of us. He showed him grace and mercy in spite of his stubbornness and his stupidity. And he spared his life from the consequences of his unwise choice. And I'm sure there's many times later in his life he would wake up and think, I could have been dead. I could have been dead that quick. But here's what I want you to understand. God's not obligated, nor will he always spare us when we go against his will. This is why we have to pay attention to the tension when we make decisions. So let me ask you, is there a tension in your life that needs your attention? Is there a decision that you're in the midst of making or you just maybe made it, but you've ignored the tension because you just wanted to do your own thing? Is there somebody that you quit listening to because every time you talk to them, they stir that tension up and they just make that tension stronger and you like Jehoshaphat, you are just driving through the caution flags and the signs and the red flags that are waving in front of you. You're saying it's going to be fine because I know how things are going to turn out. The answer is no, you don't listen your emotions tell you that and your desires they pull you in a direction that has a predictable destination and while you may get away with it once every time you get away with it it reduces your odds the next time and listen if you continue to ignore this tension from God you know what he eventually does he eventually says okay I'm stepping back I'm leaving you with this. I've tried to help you. I've tried to give you warning signs. Now you're going to get to deal with the consequences on your own this time. So don't blow past the tension and the tug. Pay attention to the tension because God is trying to help you. And he's trying to take, like, a, to help you take advantage of the opportunity that he wants to give you instead of you destroying yourself. And God also promises, listen, when you follow him, he takes responsibility for the outcome of your journey if you'll trust him enough to follow with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your being, as we sang about earlier today. So just be careful to give attention to this question, and that is this. Is there attention that needs my attention? Don't ignore it. So this week, will you commit to pausing Whenever you can't pinpoint what needs to happen right away, 
Will you make the commitment to lean into the tension and explore what's causing this tension rather than to ignore this tension that's happening in your life? Will you wrestle with it and figure out what it means and what God is trying to say, say to you and then deal with that tension in a God-honoring way because God may be trying to protect you from a very terrible move or a partnership with a very evil or wicked person. The tension is not bad. The tension that you feel is good. It's God's way of protecting you and guiding you and directing you and showing his love for you. So this week, the caution question you need to ask before every decision is this. Is there a tension that needs my attention? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible story that really is almost like a mirror for so many of us. Because we, like Jehoshaphat, we, we've just blown through the red flags that are waving, the warning signs. We've just blown through that. God, in your grace and mercy, you, you've rescued us so many times. And many of us think because you have rescued us, like you did Jehoshaphat, that we can get away with anything. We control, can control the outcome. God, forgive us. Forgive us when we've sinned against you, when we've just barreled ahead. Today, we come before you and we say, Jesus, we repent. We ask that you forgive us for being stubborn and just pushing forward. We're asking now that your Holy Spirit will speak up again in our hearts and our lives whenever we're making a decision and, and that we'll pay attention to the tension, that we no longer grieve or quench your spirit when you're bringing up that tension. But we ask the caution question. And God, I thank you that through that question, you'll guide many of us to better outcomes that glorify you and honor others and our relationship with you as we trust you. It just grows closer and closer. So thank you for this amazing opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, everyone, thanks so much for being with us. Don't forget, Evening of Vision next Sunday evening, 5 o'clock, and then we're gonna do an after-party hangout time for everybody at 6. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a great day.